Welcome to Cinema Talk, the podcast of the UW Cinematheque. This is Ben Reiser. I'm a programmer for the Cinematheque as well as the Wisconsin Film Festival. When our 2020 festival was canceled this past April, we were able to present many of the Wisconsin's own shorts we had selected in a truncated online version of the festival. But since then, we've been working on finding opportunities to present some of the Wisconsin's own feature-length films that had also been slated to screen at the 2020 event. This week, we have that opportunity, with a documentary that's perhaps even more timely now than it would have been in April. Can You Hear Us Now? tells the story of the 2018 Wisconsin midterm elections, which included a gubernatorial as well as many state assembly races. Can You Hear Us Now? gives us an intimate, on-the-ground view of the election process, focusing on the campaigns of several female Democratic candidates struggling against the odds to combat strict voter ID laws, gerrymandering, and the firmly entrenched Republican establishment. The film is a bracing document, laying bare the state of our state. The Cinematheque is able to offer a limited number of opportunities to view Can You Hear Us Now? at home for free. To receive your link to see the movie at home, send an email to info at cinema.wisc.edu. That's cinema.wisc.edu. And simply write democracy in the subject line or the first line of the email. This week on the podcast, we welcome director Jim Creechie and writer and producer Susan Peters. Jim and Susan first came to our attention with the short documentary Los Lacheros, which premiered at our 2018 Wisconsin Film Festival. Jim and Susan were scheduled to present Can You Hear Us Now at this year's Wisconsin Film Festival, and we're delighted to have them with us today for the online equivalent of one of our post-screening Q&A sessions that we would have had with them at the festival. Here now is our conversation. Jim and Susan, thanks so much for being with us on the podcast. Thanks for having us, Ben. The last time I think that I might have been in the same room with you was at the 2018 Wisconsin Film Festival, where you were presenting your short documentary, Los Lacheros, a film that we were thrilled to be able to share with our Wisconsin audience, and which actually went on to be a staple of our Screens for Teens in-school screenings over the next few years, where we got to show films from the festival to... um, high school students and sometimes middle school students. And so if you were to tell me that the genesis of Can You Hear Us Now was the direct result of your experience making and showing Los Lacheros, that would make sense to me. But I don't actually know if that's the story. How did you get started on this project? So that film was based on an article by uh, the Wisconsin Center for Investigative Journalism. Uh, We were big fans of them and we reached out to them about their story about undocumented workers on dairy farms. And uh, they were interested in collaborating and we made a film in 2017 with them. Um, And that was very rewarding um, working with these serious journalists and all around great people. And so the following summer, Susan and I uh, thought we might do the same thing, come out to we spent a lot of time in Wisconsin. We spent about half our time in Wisconsin. So we were in the spring thinking we would 
approached them and we, they had a series that they were working on called um, Undemocratic about uh, a variety of things that were going on in Wisconsin, uh, voter ID laws, fast tracking legislation. So they had all these amazing articles and we were like, oh, maybe we can do a series of short films with them. Um, and they were open to it. And uh, we uh, reached out to one of the first people they interviewed, Sheila Plotkin, and, and did an interview with her and loved Sheila and loved what she was doing um, and decided maybe we don't want to do, maybe want to do a larger film um, that gets into who these people are and why they're doing what they're doing. Um, and maybe, I mean, we really didn't know. It was, it's kind of grew over time, over, I guess, the first few months of the summer, um, what, you know, what it would be, we really weren't sure. Uh, so we just sort of took it one week at a time um, and ideas popped out every week, something different would be happening. Uh, let's go film with this person, Molly, if we can ever get a hold of her or, you know, and then slowly started turning into a larger project rather than a series of shorts that were interview based. We wanted to do something that was more personal and more, a little more verite. There's still interviews in the film, but, um, you know, show people's li lives in action. As documentarians, I, I appreciate that you're almost always in situations where the story you wind up telling might not necessarily be the story that you originally intended to capture. And that as documentary filmmakers, it's important to keep an open mind and roll with the punches. Uh, but going into it, can you talk a little bit about what your expectations were uh, when you finally arrived at this idea of doing a long form, like feature length film, and then how they ultimately stacked up with the end result? Um, I can take a little stab at that. Um, I, I would say it's, it, it changed drastically. I mean, we were, um, uh, Jim can talk a little bit more about kind of the, the um, structure of the film and how he came to, to that. But we um, thought that it was just going to be a short verite. I mean, you know, sh short in terms of filming time um, about the election and some things that were happening in the state during the election. Um, and um, really did not have a big picture in mind. And it became a much bigger picture. And it was much more um, focused on issues because we realized that you can't really talk about what these people are going through and experiencing and what is happening in this election without putting it in the context of what's been happening over the past decade. Mm -hmm. So that was um, a, a huge shift and a huge decision to start putting archival footage in it and um, looking into issues that, you know, that required more thoughtful presentation. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to talk more about uh, the techniques that you employed to tell this story um, using all your different document documentarian tools but uh i wanted to ask first uh what what was your way into the various stories that you do tell in the film you know specifically how did you wind up picking and then following the campaigns of jennifer estrada and rebecca clark we knew jennifer uh only a little bit from our first film uh the, the year before um she was an organizer for voces uh, de la frontera uh, immigrants' rights 
organization. Her husband was deported in 2012, and she has five children that are that have a father from Mexico. And uh, so she has become very involved in the immigrants' rights groups in the farming community um, specifically. And uh, so she was uh, on the edges of that movie in a, in a couple of scenes. We, we filmed a scene at the Capitol um, where they were protesting, um, I think it was a driver's license, I forget. Um, trying to remember what the scene it, was. Yeah, um, it, it, there was actually a piece of legislation that was being passed that had kind of a public hearing. Right, it was a public hearing. Yes, right, I right. remember and, that and, yeah. Right, right, right. So she, we met, we met her through the film, the short answer. Um, and we were wondering what she was up to. And we found out that she was running for office in Manitowoc, running for assembly, and went and spoke with her and Jenny has a lot going on in her life, very busy life, yeah. and is very has a lot of charisma and is a lot of heart. And um, so we, I guess, kind of impulsively decided, you know, Jenny's really interesting. Let's start. Let's add her to the, you know, to this film and see if we can look at the election through someone who is not your standard, uh, you know political operator, you know, I mean, she had been an organizer, but, you know, nothing like running for office. And uh, so this was very different for her to be also involved in the Democratic Party. I don't think she would even consider herself really a standard Democrat, uh, very independent person. Um, but Manitowoc um, needed somebody to run. There was no one who was running against the incumbent, uh, Paul Tittle. And they asked her to run, or they asked her to find someone to run, and she said, uh, pretty you know, quickly that she would do it. And so we fought, we spent the summer and uh, up to the election following Jenny, and that was kind of the thread that we sort of wrapped everything else around. And we met Rebecca, I think, not until maybe October, early October, um, at a at an event where there were. So she's from Sheboygan and Jenny's from Manitowoc. So just down the road, there were three or four Democrats speaking at this event on Lake Michigan um, in Sheboygan. And uh, and I was like, oh, who's this person? She's also, you know, incredibly charismatic and uh, very different from Jennifer. She's uh, She was a science educator um, and just has a very different background. And uh, And the two of them... I thought made a great team. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to say, I didn't, I, it, you did a really nice job in structuring and editing the film to make it feel like you had spent just about as much time with Rebecca as you did with Jennifer. I would never would have known that you only picked yeah, up on her later yeah. in the game. Uh, yeah. We had to do a little catch up with her. Yeah. yeah. Um, also Tony Evers, or as Barack Obama says, Tony Evers and, <laughs> and, uh, and Mandela Barnes do appear from time to time throughout the mm -hmm. film, both in some television news pieces and also on a few campaign stops. Uh, but I yeah. was wondering, did you attempt to spend more time with the Evers campaign or was that never part of the plan? We reached out to Mandela, uh, early on and, uh, and, um, and they, his team said, absolutely, you can follow us uh, campaigning. Um, 
And uh, so we were filming with them for on and off for a few weeks. Um, and then at some point, uh, I'm not sure exactly what happened, but uh, the access became a little more uh, complicated because yeah. the race was very intense and uh, yeah, I think it was sort of a combination of two things um, is uh, so we were spending some time with Mandela, but because it was becoming more, he was spending more time with Evers and there were more people around them. It just became more difficult to coordinate, but it was about that time that we realized that it was really more interesting for the story we were telling to focus on these local races and keep the statewide races sort of in the background and something that we know throughout the film is happening, but um, but we're not making it about those races. So that um, was sort of a convenient moment to, to um, break them away. Although there was a constant intersection, you know, they would show up at things that we were already filming at um, and yeah. things like that. Yeah, it was great towards the end of the film, Tony and Mandela show up at a bar in Manitowoc. So that worked out really nicely for us. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now you already talked about this a little bit, but, and also uh, I'm making some assumptions. So correct me if I'm wrong, although it sounds like I'm kind of with you on this. There was, but I, I was going to guess that you, ideally you would have been able to get as much of your sort of thesis or your points across as you could with the verite footage, you know, the on the ground stuff as we follow these people around, but that inevitably you also need to incorporate some TV and radio talk show footage to convey some of the context and the larger issues at stake. But are there examples of things that you were happily surprised to have captured on the ground or any examples of things you were hoping you'd be able to get in that sort of verite footage, but wound up having to pull in from other sources? Uh, one of the things that was, was nice is that we, we filmed with uh, Bernie Sanders. That was a nice sort of unexpected thing when everybody starts showing up in, in town, Right. you know, Trump. And we almost got to the Trump um rally but did not make it to that and same thing with obama but uh you know just to have everyone start showing up in the town and be able to film bernie sanders in a small union hall i think that was kenosha um i think there were there are two things that come to mind for me one that ended up in the film and one that didn't um the one that didn't was when we went to um we went with jenny to uh vote in the primaries and she, her name had been removed from the rolls, um, which was something that was, had happened to um, a few hundred thousand people. Happened to my um, wife. So, yeah. yeah. And so we, we were able to capture that happening, um, but we, we really struggled to keep it in the movie and it just didn't fit. Um, so we, it was great to have caught it. And the other, the other scene that I think um, was really just fortuitous and wonderful that we caught was, um, and Jim caught, I wasn't there, was in Milwaukee with Molly McGrath when she was knocking on doors. Um, I, I think it was, you know, a lot of people were home and that just had a lot of great conversations that, um, that. Yeah, I feel like in about the space of two hours of filming with her, I think she was even, uh, you know, kind of shocked about some of the responses that we got from people. She's knocking on doors and saying, hey, we can help you get an ID if you don't have an ID. We're in a, we're in a, uh, a neighborhood in Milwaukee. 
very low income neighborhood and uh, just trying to inform people, you know, you need an ID. Can we help you get one? And she got about, you know, five or six different answers pretty quickly that would have, you know, pretty much summed up the argument of, you know, why voter ID laws don't work and why they keep people from voting. Um, and it was just kind of like, wow, this is this is incredible. In one one day, we're getting all of these amazing answers from people. Of, you know, oh, I thought I thought I had to buy an ID. I didn't know they were free. You know, yeah, confused general general conf- simple confusion just about not having the right information about what you need when you go to vote. Yeah. Um, now again, you already talked about uh, Sheila Plotkin a little bit, uh, but I do think that the film makes great judicious use of so-called talking head interviews. But I do want to talk more about Sheila, who sort of transcends being a talking head and becomes sort of a genuine character in the film in her own right. Um, and I, I could talk a little more about how you came into contact with her. And at what point you did you realize that you had such a great screen presence in in her? Uh, immediately. <laughs> uh, she's incredibly charming and knowledgeable person. I mean, she's a retired school teacher and uh, I guess 80 years old when we filmed with her, which we didn't really know until she told us when we were finished. But uh, just, um, you know, that was one of the first things we filmed. And uh, we did a long two hour interview with her and just so much great information and storytelling. And that's on, on the drive home from Madison back to Fond du Lac, we were like, this, this is this is all just too interesting and too good. We we should do a verite film, and uh, that was really that was really the, the you know the beginning of the idea. Um, but but were you at that point thinking of a verite film about her? No, just to, just to just to real just sort of get the realization that you know we're going to find a lot of interesting people mm. who are doing this work, and I, I don't want to just watch people talk to the camera. I want to see them do their thing. Right. And Sheila is one of, is the only person in the film who had already done most of what uh, we talk about. Right. Um, that it, had, it had already happened a couple of years prior. I mean, she was still doing it, but the, the specific things that we talk about with her. So we sort of filmed a scene with her uh, in her office again later after we had been filming for months, we were like, you know what? The Sheila interview is really amazing. We need to go back and, and have her walk us through the process of everything she did. So that, you know, that was what we had to do to make her interview work because I don't think it would have worked had we not seen her uh, talk us through the, the different things that she was doing. And I would say that, you know, Jim, Jim is an editor. And so when he is filming things, he's very judicious about when he turns the camera on because he's going to have to go through all of it. (laughs) I'm also lazy. So so we had a couple of interviews and Sheila was one of them where we just couldn't stop talking. And afterwards he was like, that's, I'm going to, we're going to have to go through all of this. This is quite a, you know, we spent a whole day with it. Yeah. 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 Oh, I totally get that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, so being in the thick of it, during the the campaigns and stuff were uh were the results of the of any of those races a surprise to you um in the end oh, it's hard to it's say hard now to say. Yeah. Um, um you know i have to say when susan and i've had this conversation many times about 
Jenny and Rebecca's races. And, uh, you know, as you're filming, you're understanding their communities, you're understanding what they're up against, but you're also seeing the energy on the ground and, the, and uh, you know, the positive attitude that everybody has and you're, you're in it with them. You know, you're like, they're gonna win. There's no way they can't win. And, and I think we, we never had a conversation while we were filming, like, are they gonna win? I don't think we did at least. And uh, it wasn't until later where Susan was like, I wasn't sure, uh, or, or I knew they weren't gonna win, Jim, and I just really didn't wanna say anything to you. I actually had to pull him aside on election night because you know it was, it was very, a very exhausting day um, and it went very late. And um, as anyone who was following that election news, some of the, Results didn't come in until very late in the evening. Um, but early on, I kind of pulled Jim aside at some point. I was like, you know, that they're not going to win because I could just I could see that he was a little distracted with 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 that. Um, but uh, yeah, you want to yeah. believe. Yeah. Well, what about the Evers race? Because I don't think that that was a foregone conclusion. That, no, no, we had we had no idea what was going to happen there. I mean, he won by like thirty thousand votes. You know, all of them from the last thing in Milwaukee, which is just unbelievable down to the wire. Uh, yeah, we, we really had no idea. Yeah. And you know? We've had so many elections like that in recent years in Wisconsin where the result turns out to be the opposite at that very last minute. So right, right. a Democrat will win in, in the, in the very last moment of the, of the counting of the ballots was, mm-hmm. was a, a shock, right. a surprise. Right. Right. Um, I think, is it Molly McGrath who rattles off this list of the three big problems in the Wisconsin political landscape? But somebody in your film, I thought it might be Molly, but she says, she talks about gerrymandering, or somebody does, dark money and voter oh, suppression. Uh, Carrie Trask, oh, okay. who is, um, uh, he was speaking at a fundraiser for Jenny, um, and he's actually now running for that seat. Um this year, but he's the one who, who mentioned those things and, and kind of referred back to Wisconsin's history as, you know, a, yeah. a paragon of, you know, democracy. So can you two take a stab at talking about those three areas and what has happened with them since the 2018 midterms? Have they gotten better, worse? Are they staying the same? I don't think anything's changed. Um, I think, um, you know, I, I think that, there, you know, there are definitely people who are better qualified than we to, to talk about um, those issues right now. And it's hard to keep track of yeah. in Wisconsin things. But um, there are definitely some things where because of the lame duck laws, the, the um, legislation that passed during the lame duck session, um, some of the things that people thought might be um possible with a democratic governor they're realizing are still not possible so there are a lot of things that um you know aren't changing that i think people thought would change on election night um in terms of gerrymandering that's a really complicated conversation in wisconsin and we've been um uh at some some events and conversations around gerrymandering where they make kind of a, a glib statement about, oh, you know, all you need to do is have a referendum and you can fix it in your state. And um, trying to change that process in Wisconsin is extremely complicated and protracted. Um, and I think 
you know, we couldn't get into all of those details, but um, I think we're pretty happy with how much we were able to convey about the process and, and Wisconsin's position. But um, there, there's definitely some really interesting things that Governor Evers is doing with setting up a citizens task force to provide recommendations, but the legal underpinnings haven't changed. Yeah, yeah he doesn't have the power to make that happen. So, you know, it, I, I think the idea is to put pressure on the Republican Assembly, um, but I don't, you know, they don't really listen to anything that Governor Evers Says. No, and it's interesting watching the film now, you know, two years later, and Scott Walker's segment on that uh, TV interview where he says, oh, you know, he can still, he still has the power to do everything. He just needs to work with the legislature. Right, and to, right, right. And to, you know, now that we, we've seen how that works over the last couple of years. So. Right. Right. Um, I I was really moved by what Rebecca Clark talks about at, towards the end of the film, the idea of the lost cause. And running for office anyway as a as a way to lay the groundwork for the possibilities of the future. So can you update us at all on the main subjects of your film? You know, what have you seen or heard from Jenny or Rebecca or Sheila Plotkin for that matter? Uh, Jenny started a nonprofit um, called Crusaders of um, Justicia. Justicia. And they are based in Manitowoc and... Um, they help uh, immigrant families, um, farm workers, um, fam- low-income families with uh, legal issues. With uh, they have a food pantry. They, you know, they started out with these sort of very basic needs that the community was not providing, um, which you know, which I think was pretty incredible. She's like, okay, I'm not going to win but I'm still going to help my community by, you know, creating this service. And now because of, uh, COVID she, they're feeding 3000 families a week. So they've been able to get, uh, trucks, a couple of tractor trailers. And because of her farm connections, they have connections to farms where they're getting food. Um, in collaboration with some other right, there's a, there's a handful of organizations basically that have all come together, and Jen, Jenny's kind of managing this thing where they're they've got lines of cars down the street that they're feeding every week in different places from Appleton to Green Bay, Manitowoc, uh, and that whole area. So it's that's incredible. So that's what she's up to. Um, Rebecca has been um, elected to the Sheboygan County Board of Supervisors. Um, so she is, um, deep in her community and doing the same thing that she was. I mean, she's got this Facebook feed where every day she's like dissecting legislation and explaining the long-term implications of every conversation that's happening. And it's really quite impressive. And I think, um, sort of being thrown into the fire as well during COVID because so many things are coming up on that local level that are apparently controversial that i mean surprise yeah. me and i think yeah. surprise her as being controversial but so yeah, we're a wearing a mask drama. very controversial yeah. in sheboygan yeah yeah how about sheila sheila has uh, uh she was actually looking up information Could, do you remember the specifics so of that she some really interesting things have happened with sheila one is she won a lawsuit um 
against um, Robin, Robin Voss, Voss right. because he refused to provide electronic um, records to her and said that she had to travel in to to get them um, into Madison and get like, you know, boxes of really heavy paper. And she was like, I can't carry this stuff. You know, I need it electronically. And she's had to have that argument with a lot of these legislators mm-hmm. um, that she needs, you know, give me a thumb drive and you need to give me the information. And, and she ended up suing for it and she won. And she won. So we actually were with her the day that she found that out. Yeah. Um, yeah, she that was, was very weird. proud of herself. So, and she's, she's doing great. We just had a conversation with her a couple of days ago. So. But she's, she's also been looking up information dealing with the pandemic and I don't, Exactly yeah. what that is. Yeah, she's she's got her her website is um, her Facebook page is We the Irrelevant, which is her group, and she that's where she tracks everything and puts up her data. So she's still doing that work. So, um, you know, if the world had been like it was seven months ago, uh, or however long it's been at this point, uh, <laughs> we would have been having this conversation in person at the Wisconsin Film Festival this past April. Uh, in front of a, yeah. in front of a sold out house and yeah um, we were we were really excited to premiere there that would have been amazing yeah. so talk to me as filmmakers about what it's been like trying to get this film seen during the pandemic and um you know the challenges and maybe maybe there's some silver linings has in some ways it been has it opened up some avenues that might not have been open to you uh pre-pandemic um well, it's been really frustrating because a lot of the festivals <clears throat> early on did what, you know, your festival did, which was we were not, you know, it's too soon to figure this out. Um, and then I think um, the complications of showing films that are going to be distributed online uh, during a festival, you know, sort of iron themselves out to a degree. But, you know, uh, most of the festivals still cut the amount of films um by more than half that they were actually going to show. So that made our odds a little more complicated and uh, difficult. Um, But we've been in a handful of festivals and, um, and they've been very generous Mm -hmm. with us. Uh, I know I I saw you got to do something on the side of a barn, like a drive-in, like a sort of a pop-up drive-in. That looked awesome. Yes. Yes. So we were going to be in the Martha's Vineyard Film Festival back in March and, um, and they did the same thing you guys did there. Like we're community based. We we're not going to do a streaming festival. We love it when people get together and watch movies in person. So they decided not to do their March festival and, but they do have a summer series. So they had figured out, uh, the, the drive-in movie thing, you know, by the time July, August came around, uh, which they, I don't think it ever done before. Um, so they put us in with Jaws and, uh, you know, Empire Strikes Back and all those other fun drive-in movie theater movies that you want to see. Um, and Tony Shalhoub, uh, Green Bay native, uh, has gotten involved with our film, um, which, you know, if he was his normal, busy, working self, uh, may not have had the time to talk to us and, and watch the film. And we sent him the film um, and he responded immediately and watched it and responded to it positively. And he is now um our executive producer um and we'll be talking about the film uh now that we're releasing it 
Um, so that probably would, that, I don't think that would have happened um, had it not been for actors not being able to work. <laughs> well, I will say you it know. has been easier to get podcast guests. <laughs> the, the, uh, I'm sure, right? <laughs> People are sitting at home in front of their computer, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, obviously, you're still in the midst of releasing the film and getting it seen, but uh, you have any upcoming projects you're, you've started to work on? What's next? Um, we so we have a few ideas, but nothing. Yeah, we have some we have some ideas. Um, uh, not um, not Wisconsin based um, uh, this time, we think. But we thought that last time, and then you know we were there. <laughs> right. Next thing you know, there's so many things to cover we there. Probably do a trilogy, um, right? But we're um, we're we're looking at some environmental stories, and um, I think that we've agreed to never again make a film that was time sensitive. Mm. Um, and, um, not that we think that this is, uh, you know, a 2020 film it's, um, I, I think we're pretty comfortable knowing that it's a timeless film, but there's a lot of pressure for people to see it this year. And that gave us a lot of time pressure to, to get it out and to, um, so we'll never do that again. <laughs> you, you didn't like that. You don't, you don't feel like that pressure was helpful in a way. You know, it was, it, it just didn't give us time to bring in the kinds of partners along the way. I mean, they, I think there would have been a more deliberative process. Um, the pressure helped get it done, but um, it would have been nice to have more people involved along the way. Yeah. It is kind of amazing that, that, the, that it's only 2020 and that, the, you know, this film was shot in 2018 and, and here it is. I mean, it's a pretty yeah. fast turnaround <laughs> and a very accomplished yeah. film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Thanks. So Jim, I Thanks. know you're not good at, at this, uh, but, <laughs> but Susan, do you care to take a guess as to which way Wisconsin's going to go on November 3rd? You know, no. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm an eternal pessimist, <laughs> which, um, doesn't really help. Um, so I, uh, but I'm, but I'm always, um, you know, I'm still hopeful that, um, the hopeful some, pessimist. Some, so, you know, so I think there will be some, some, some great changes and really I'm much more focused on state level races. I mean, I think everybody's talking about the presidential race, like it's everything. And I'm, I'm, not thinking about that because a lot of other people are. Um, and we're both kind of, you know, having a lot of conversations about state level politics and how much they affect things and just trying to get people to pay attention to those races instead. And Hey, when you're there, vote for the president of your choice, but think about your decisions on the local level. Cool. Well, thanks so much for being with us. Sorry. I couldn't be in person, but this was, this was nice. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you. Yeah, great. Yeah. Really nice talking with you. Thanks so much for letting us show the film. We're, we're thrilled to be able to get it in this fall and bring it to our, to our audience hanging out at home. Thanks for talking with us. Uh, uh, this is a great podcast. You've got a lot of impressive filmmakers, so it's great yeah. to be. Thank you. And um, as a UW Madison alumnus, um, I'm very excited to. Or do I say alumni? Alumnus? I'm not <laughs> sure. Shoot. Um, I'm I'm excited to be showing it. You know, through the UW Cinematheque. It's kind of a cool uh, synergy. So, thanks for showing okay, it. Okay. Well, next film, bring it to us again in person. Yeah, absolutely. We'll do.